the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. The University of Colorado conducted its 2022 Spring Showcase on April 23rd, concluding spring practices with a 65-play controlled scrimmage. Walk-ons from running back Charlie Offerdahl to receiver Michael Harrison to safety Jordan Wolverton made names for themselves, while the defense overall had the better of it on a sunny afternoon in Boulder. I am joined by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland as we go unit by unit to discuss the spring showcase and then take a step back to review the 15 practice spring of 2022. Is the quarterback position Brendan Lewis's to lose heading into fall camp? Can the offensive line make do with the present lineup? Or should Buff fans be hoping for a quick fix from the transfer portal? Is the defensive backfield filled with young talent or just young players? And will fans be singing the praises of Charlie Offerdahl well into the fall? Or will we have to wait until next spring to hear his name once again over the Folsom Field PA system? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back. And we are here to talk about the spring don't call it a game, showcase at the University of Colorado. Welcome back, Mr. Brad Geiger. Hello, it's good to see you on a uh, better than expected Saturday here in Colorado. Very good. And Neil Langland, I did not get blown away in Boulder. How are you doing this evening? Uh, pleasantly surprised by the weather. And it's good to be back here seeing you guys and uh, talk and see you football. Okay, well, to let our listeners know our Topic, we're going to talk about the spring showcase, go through each unit, and then we're going to go back and talk about the spring football, the last 15 practices that concluded today with the spring showcase. Just some overall thoughts. Neil, tell us uh, what you thought about uh, the spring practices or the spring practice scrimmage. I can't call it a game. Uh, What you witnessed in Folsom Field is one of the 1,950 that braved the elements to to watch the buffs today. I'm going to try to do a little comparative statics and compare this scrimmage with the first one. And I think there was improvement. Uh, It seemed to be operating more smoothly. The plays were coming in more quickly. Everyone seemed to know their assignment. Um, The sidelines were well-ordered. 
And it looked like everyone was comfortable in the offense, more so than last time. Saw a little bit of improvement, I think, in both lines. I think Brendan Lewis continues to improve as a quarterback. He stood in the pocket some today. And, you know, I'm hoping that with some of the linemen that were out, perhaps our offensive line is better than it performed today. They look to be in better shape. I think the defensive line overall improved a great deal over the last scrimmage. Um, They were dominant at times. And I was impressed, I think, with special teams, the kickoff returns. We had a nice alley for a return that could have gone for a long way. They weren't going exactly top speed, but they looked to know their assignments again and were um, executing them well. I think there's some potential there. Otherwise, um, there was good energy, and it was, for me, just fun to get out there and watch it. Okay. Brad, any overall impressions of the the Spring Showcase? You know, it was harder on TV. The camera angles were not genius. There was a lot of time interviewing people. I will say it looked organized. They they looked coached. It looked like the people were, the the sideline and and the coaches were involved in this and knew what they wanted to get out of it. You know, it's not fun to just watch a scrimmage. It's not fun to watch drills. But overall, when it when the energy picked up a little bit, I thought it was kind of fun to watch how it was going. I, I deal with some of the evaluations, and we'll do a unit by unit. But they look organized. They look coached. They look like they want to play football. I guess that's what you're looking for at the end of spring practice. Okay. Well, uh, was the seven-on-seven seven stuff? On the broadcast, a little bit they yeah. were talking over it, but they showed some of the seven on seven. Just, yeah, they would talk over it. They do interviews with players who would come back. Um, the, uh, so the seven on seven tell. stuff was pretty extensive, and I think at least Lewis made some very nice throws. There were some good, good, good throw uh, catches on some downs. The coverage was absolutely as tight as a drum. On others, receivers were getting free. So. I think it shows potential for both sides, for both offense and defense. But the quarterbacks definitely look to be pretty well-oiled in that offense. Okay. Well, that's a good segue to talk about the quarterbacks, um, especially since J.T. Shrout, who is still recovering from knee injury last August, only participated in the sevens-on-sevens. According to uh, head coach Carl Durrell, he'll be a full go come June. So when the competition hits, heats up again in August, there will be a shroud as part of it. But he didn't participate in the spring scrimmage. There are four different quarterbacks who did. Most of the snaps were taken by Brendan Lewis. He went 12 for 18 for a grand total of 81 yards and a touchdown in the last play of the, of the scrimmage to win it, uh, at least the competition that they were doing for the offense. Again, I think you'd say, yeah, he probably looked better than he did last year. Um, I think that's a fair statement. I don't think that's too much of an exaggeration, but the results, the numbers um, were not indicative of that. It wasn't, uh, he threw behind uh, Jay Lee's stacks a couple of times on some open passes underneath. And of course, he didn't get a chance to run and improvise, you know, because we weren't tackling quarterbacks. So part of his strength, you know, in terms of being a quarterback and being a mobile quarterback 
was restricted that we didn't get to see some of the plays he might have made had he been, you know, a full go in terms of being tackled at, at a spring game. The other quarterbacks, um, I think we saw why Drew Carter didn't play much last year. I don't think there is a whole lot of improvement there. He wasn't in for very much, only a couple of series, but not super impressive. Maddox Cop, the transfer from Houston, certainly looks the part. He's a tall dude. He still looks like he needs to fill out, even though he's a sophomore. But uh, he did have a couple of moments in there, four for seven, did have the only interception of the of the scrimmage. But at least he looked like bad throw. it was a bad throw. Yeah, it was an easy interception for the safety in the end zone. But at least he looks the part, and it looks like, you know, if JT Shroud is a, a full go come June and will be a full participant in August, that at, at a minimum, the quarterback room is in better condition than it was last year. Fair statement? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the Titanic after the iceberg was in better shape than our quarterback room last year. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, unquestionably. If Shroud is healthy, if Cop can stay that way, yeah, things can get better. We don't have to just – and part of the problem last year is we were all convinced that Brendan Lewis was said – don't was told, don't make a mistake and don't get hurt, which for a quarterback the way who plays the, the way he wants to play, put a limitation on it. Um, I thought Lewis, uh, particularly the touchdown at the end of the game, now that was a defensive breakdown, but that's what he can do to people is, is make them miss and then make the throw. I thought he was more decisive. I agree. He, uh, we have to see a little bit better accuracy on open throws. Um, he, he's interesting. He can be more accurate throwing in a window than he is in an open on an open throw. He will overthink a pass and hit somebody on the back shoulder. Um, and I hope that improves before the first game of next year. Yeah, I don't think we saw anything that indicates that Brendan Lewis is not going to be the starter. How about you, Neil? We got our our starter penciled in, or is it still going to be an open competition come August? You know, I, I think Brad is is probably right in that um, Lewis has improved enough, and the only competition is going to come from Shroud. And I'm going to reserve that until I see him actually in a live scrimmage, because I've watched him throw on the sidelines and throw after practice, and the guy really has some arm talent whether or not he can supervise an offense and make all the throws and do everything else that's necessary. Open question. One thing he does not have, I'm guessing, is Lewis's threat as a runner. Correct. Either as a scrambler or on a uh, design QB run, of which there were a few today where Lewis looked very good, I thought. So I I would say it's 90% in the bag for Lewis, but there's still a chance for Shroud. Okay. Well, moving quickly on to running backs. Um, Brad, I'm kind of disappointed we don't see the Charlie Offered All for President t-shirt on you. I didn't thought you had time to go down and get that made. Um, yeah, well, it hasn't cooled off yet. I ironed it on, but it hasn't cooled off enough to show up on it. <laughs> so the, um, the star of the scrimmage, nine rushes, 55 yards, and a touchdown, and a touchdown receiving as well. Yeah, and, and actually looked decent doing it. It wasn't, it wasn't just mistakes or that kind of thing. Spring practice, there's always a guy like Charlie Offerdahl who shows up, who's fun to watch, unlikely to get substantial playing time come fall. 
and of course it was, it was frustrating that Fontenot couldn't play. I think he and uh, and Deion Smith will be competing for the starting job or alternating the starting job. Deion Smith was probably to me the highlight of the offense. Um, I thought his couple of runs were quite solid. I think he's seeing the hole a little bit better. And on his touchdown runs, he planted and cut. Dion in the past has had a tendency to be a bit twinkle toes in the backfield. And I thought he was much more decisive in this scrimmage. Yeah. So, Neil, would you say would you be more pleased with what you saw from Dion Smith or more concerned about what we didn't see from Jay Lee Stacks, who had four yards on five carries? I was hoping for more from Stacks. And I think he was just not getting any daylight to go to. He, I mean, he was being hit in the backfield and he made guys miss, but I still think he's an open question. And I think he could be valuable to the offense in a certain role. The guy you mentioned, Charlie, he reminds me a little bit of a young Phil Lindsay in terms of his running style. And he's kind of fun to watch, you know, high motor. But Deion Smith, on his touchdown run especially, as Brad said, he saw the hole, he got into it quickly, made a cut, made a couple of guys miss, made another cut. It was a very piece of, very nice piece of athletic running. And I, I think he's showing some promise that he could challenge for the starting job. Okay. Well, maybe not as impressed. There's only 105 yards rushing. On the day, with 55 of that coming from Offerdahl, the receiving, well, there's only 130 yard, nine yards passing, and 34 of that came on a trick play with uh, Montana Limonius Craig being the uh, quarterback on a pass on a reverse. Um, so some good things from R.J. Snead, Brad. I mean, what, uh, what you I mean, you got your touchdown from – one Michael Harrison and a couple of catches by Jack Hestera. Not the uh, uh, stretching the defense kind of uh, wide receiver day. Fair statement to make? No, it felt like they were calling it that way. You know, I don't recall any passes really meant to go downfield seriously. So I think there were, it was very hard to tell what we've got. Um, I'm very glad to see Sneed running the ball. I, I I think there is some part of them that hopes that he can turn into a somewhat smaller LaVisca Chanel, a multi-use player. But I think they're still figuring that out. I think they're trying to figure out everybody else as well. You know, I hope Daniel Arias wasn't hurt catching the ball on the concrete. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he looked, I think he's okay, but yeah, that was uh, painful to watch. Yeah, I think I think tomorrow morning there'll be some black and blue out of that one. No, I mean, the the passing game was very restrained, and that made it hard to judge how the wide receivers are going to look. We all think those wide receivers, that we've got to go farther downfield. We all get need to see Lewis be more accurate downfield, and we didn't get to see a lot of that today, and that's concerning. We don't know if that's part of the offense or just part of the spring scrimmage. Yeah, so... Neil, between the receivers and you know the tight ends, and you know you were watching the offensive line. Is it uh, the fact that the offense, which had 244 total yards, which was roughly the same amount that CU averaged last year when CU was 
wait for it, 129th in the nation in total offense. Was it just, this was such a vanilla, I mean, Carl Durrell said it was going to be a vanilla scrimmage in terms of plays. Was it vanilla or was it lack of execution? What did what did you see? I think the the vanilla nature of the play calling being intentional for whatever they're trying to hide uh, contributed to the lack of execution. There were several plays where the defensive line just stormed into the backfield, dominated the line, and threw ball carriers for losses. Um, there was a disturbing amount of holding. I think there were three holding calls um, that I saw on the O-line. I think at least two of them were on the first team O-line. And there was, outside of that, a lot of grabbing that wasn't called. So I'm a little concerned about their pass blocking in that regard. I note, though, that Tommy Brown was not dressed. Correct. And um, the two cent- two guys competing for the centers uh, slot, they alternated at guard and center. And, you know, they seem to do all right. Over on the right side, I think your most recent interview gave a good account of himself. He looked to be moving well. And I, I think he's going to return to form. When he first showed up here, uh, he was touted as a possible NFL talent. And he may have that. And it'll be interesting to see if with confidence restored and health fully restored, if he's going to be the player that everyone thought he could be. What remains to be seen is how the center position is going to work out. I think they improved from the first scrimmage, but their run blocking today against the first team defense was just not good. They were able to, on pass protection, create a pocket for Lewis where he could stay in and throw the ball. And that was a definite improvement from last scrimmage, but it's going to take summer and fall camp to really get these guys up to speed, I think. Okay. So just off offense in general, you think that uh, we're going to need some more transfers, especially along the line in order to make a complete team. If we can't, you know, field two teams worth the offensive line, any sort of injuries would just make it, as bad as it was last year. And that was uh, one of the worst offensive line performances that most people have seen out of CU in a long time. Probably the the main concern going forward on the offense, Neil, would you say would be the line? No doubt. I, I think for the whole team, actually, uh, as Coach Barnett used to say, that the offensive line determines the character of the team. And if this unit can coalesce, um, it's going to do a lot for everyone. But um, I think they're going to be looking at a transfer, maybe at the center position, and maybe for some more help at tackle, some at least some depth. I'm not sure the kid that uh, transferred in from Arizona is going to be of immediate value, but we'll see. I mean, he's not really here, so it's not fair to criticize him for that. But uh, there was significant drop-off, I think, between the first and second units, so depth is a concern. Yeah. Well, flipping the ball – and talking about the defense, we're going to leave you up there, Neil, um, talk about the defensive line. So as poorly as the offensive line was at times, that was because the defensive line was playing well, as you mentioned, that uh, perhaps one of the concerns about the team going forward was the lack of depth and the lack of 
talent on the defensive line, but it seems like Carl Durrell's kind of gone out of his way to praise not only the talent of the defensive line, but the depth that the second wave or the second string is almost as talented as the the first. Did you get that impression while you were watching the defensive line today? Actually, I did in that a disclaimer, it was hard to identify from my seat exactly who was playing because of the way the D linemen were wearing their shirts. So there was some guesswork involved there, but there was a lot of rotation in there. And that to me said that they are comfortable with their, their first six or even seven guys that play with their hand in the ground, the, the big defensive tackles in end. It was pleasing to watch the fourth down lineman who is really a linebacker that's just playing with his hand down on both sides of the ball. Those guys, or excuse me, both sides of the formation, they had guys that did very well. And that's been a good addition. It seems like the flexibility of having that fourth lineman be someone a little smaller, faster, and more mobile could really work for them. I thought that the D-line was not only putting pressure and reestablishing the line of scrimmage in the backfield, they were keeping the linebackers clean so that the linebackers could scrape and get to the ball. So that was probably one of the best, if not the best performing unit. Uh, the entire scrimmage. Okay, Brad's nodding his head, and you were watching the the linebackers, and see you went from the 3-4 to the 4-3, so take some of the pressure off the linebackers, but it seemed like even without Nate Landman and Carson Wells in the lineup, the linebacker core performed pretty well in the spring showcase. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think we were told that the reason that we've gone to a 4-3 is because that fits our talent better. And everything today said that was true. We've got more talent at the defensive line, but we've got some guys standing behind them, uh, Quinn Perry in particular, who I think they are going to be there to do the things we need them to do. I think the 4-3 frees them up from a lot of pass rushing, and so they're going to be doing a lot of run stopping. We still don't know how much they can cover. Backs cut. We didn't see a lot of, of passes to the backs, and the one there was one pass to the back where there was no one within the general vicinity. And if Lewis had hit him on the front, it had gone a good distance. So I think we're going to have to see how well those guys drop in coverage, but I'm feeling good about particularly these linebackers in the run game. I think that we're going to get a good stop up front. And I think our linebackers going to be the kind of guys who can flow to the ball. And if they can also flow outside, which I thought they did well, there were a couple of times that Lewis tried to get outside that the linebackers did a nice job getting there. So I am I'm more excited about this linebacker group than I had thought. You always wonder how you're going to replace guys who are probably going to play in the NFL. And I think um, while they still try to figure out who it's going to be, I think there's some talent there. And I think that's probably those are the guys who are coming to lead the team in tackles. I hope it's not the safeties anymore. <laughs> well, especially – since our safeties are, well, we have one returning safety and everybody else, uh, the rest of the defensive backfield are, are babies. And the defensive backfield, I thought today in the spring showcase, played pretty well for the under the circumstances. Isaiah Lewis, the only returning starter since the other three starters defected, didn't play, which meant everybody in the defensive backfield was a newbie. Uh, at least had very little experience. I mean, Nico Reed, I mean, there's 
players that have played last year, but we're not talking about regular starters. And, you know, did come up with the one easy interception by Jordan Wolverton, the former walk-on quarterback, now is a walk-on safety. In his post-game comments, our post-scrimmage comments, Carl Durrell particularly pointed out Trevor Woods having a good a good game, a good scrimmage with a couple of tackles. And if you look at the stats again, um, again, as Brad mentioned, they weren't challenged deep as part of maybe the plan, but it seemed like the only, you know, the only time that they got beat deep was on a fake play, on a trick play. Everything else they kept in front of them and they made tackles. There weren't a lot of missed tackles and breaks for long runs or anything like that, which you'd be afraid of with, younger defensive backs. Neil, what did you see in the back seven that uh, either impressed you or didn't impress you? I think toward the end, uh, when they were uh, doing the goal line, or excuse me, the the red zone offense, Trevor Woods was on a lot of those tackles. And it seems to me that he has a good nose for the ball and is good in run support. As you mentioned, he did not let anyone get behind him so i'm hopeful that he can be a good safety work his way into being a good safety um he certainly has i think the the instincts and the football iq it'll be interesting to see if he can cover there wasn't a lot of deep throw so it's hard to tell really how that would work uh in a scrimmage situation in the seven on seven uh i think the same pattern held is that the Receivers broke free once in a while, but most of the time they were well covered, both over the top with a, a safety as well as in man-to-man. So I, if there was a, another unit that deserves praise, uh, probably the second best unit was the secondary. Okay. Um, and just briefly before we start talking about the spring in general, any thoughts on special teams? There weren't any real kickoff return, punt returns. You mentioned that they did have lanes for a kickoff return, but I don't think, you know, we really can say that Nico Reed would have had a hundred yard return like he did in the Utah game in the finale last year, but at least kicking and punting Cole Becker was perfect. Um, you can't ask for more than, you know, making the kicks that you're asked to make. So we didn't get very much to look at in terms of special teams. It's certainly not something you're going to show when you're not doing an actual game. Neil, did you see anything in drills or anything else about special teams that you wanted to to talk about? Well, I like the way Reed, on his one run toward the end of the uh, scrimmage, seemed to have some sense of where the hole would be and was able to get to it and make a couple of nice moves. I think the blocking there was was pretty good, but I think if anything is going to happen on special teams that is truly special, it's going to come from Reed. And I hope that's just not a bandwagon effect from what he did last year, but he seems to be a player that just has a sense for how to run that, that kick back. Well, and if, if confidence matters in returning kicks, Nico does not seem to lack for it. Well, he, he, you know, he was talking a little bit on that play. He, um, he took it and he, went forward. So uh, assuming he can continue to catch the ball, I think, I think he's the kind of guy who put his head down and get some yards for us. And then, you know, Becker's just Becker. He's going to be a good kicker. I don't know if he's going to be the best kicker in the league, but he's going to be a solid kicker. Yeah. Well, I, I just hope that 
Nico Reed doesn't become too valuable as a cornerback that the coaches decide that they can't risk him running kicks back. But And Maurice Bell is getting some time. He was fifth in the Pac-12 two years ago in kick returns, but was injured last year. So there might be some other options in the return game for Colorado that might improve the status of the offense's statistics so that they are starting all their drives at the 20-yard line or inside the 50 because apparently, at least from the scrimmage, they weren't able to drive 80 yards. But be that as it may, let's talk a little bit just about the spring from 10,000 feet. I want to talk a little bit about the offensive coaching staff because five, well, four of the five coaches are new. Darian Hagan was the only holdover at running backs coach. Mike Sanford, of course, came in as the offensive coordinator and as the quarterback's coach. Clay Patterson, passing game coordinator and tight ends coach. Kyle Devan, offensive line. And I always say his name wrong, but Phil McGogan. McGogan is the wide receivers coach. From what we've seen, what we've read, what we've heard watching him talk, it seems like Carl Durrell did pretty well in picking up these offensive coaches. Uh, would you guys concur with that? Would that uh, just seem to be the way it is with new coaching staffs, or is it unusual for a new coaching staff to get along so well so early? These are old professionals, seasoned guys, for the most part, who Durrell knew would come in, didn't need a big, long learning curve. Um, they may not be the hot names, probably not going to be the most innovative names. But Durrell was kind of tired of not having a bunch of pros in the offensive room. And it really does seem like that's who they've got now. I think there's a clear chain of command, um, and I think everybody's respecting it. Obviously, it's easy to be optimistic in spring, but the team seems to respect it as well. So that may be the most important improvement in spring practice this year. Okay. Neil, what, do you, what would you say about the – the new four, 80% of the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball being turned over for 2022. First comment is that I like the reorganization of it, having the coordinator be the QB coach. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a pairing you just have to have. That said, I like the way those receivers were running patterns um, in the seven on seven. They, they look to be well coached. Most important, I think, is the drastic improvement in the offensive line coaching situation. When last year, it was not only apparent from the stands that that unit was dysfunctional. They looked disheartened and really just not into it. Uh, based on your interviews, Stu, and just from what we're reading and hearing elsewhere, that that unit has been rejuvenated under this new coach and they're regaining confidence. They're getting consistent teaching of the correct principles and the correct techniques. So if we give that O-line coach a good summer and a good fall camp, there will definitely be improvement in that unit over time. I'm confident of that. Yeah. And I think just the overall tone that you mentioned even though it's been written about by, by many that it's a whole new affect there, 
I saw some signs of it today that there was a little more bounce in the step, a, a lot of the players and the coaches. Well, I think that that's been the consensus. And you didn't, you know, since you were there in person, Neil, they talked a little bit about how, especially Mike Sanford, you know, this is the first time he's come into a situation where there wasn't already an established offense, that he wasn't asked to, to take over and adapt himself, that he got basically a clean slate here and with the whole room full of coaches. And one quote he had, uh, I'm just having a blast because this coaching staff offers a variety of experience, like Brad mentioned, a variety of systematic approaches, and we've had a lot of fun putting it together and doing it in a way where everybody's got some skin in the game, and it's been really fun. It's been a unified offensive group, and that's very exciting. And one quote I just want to throw out there that this is from Adam Munster Tiger, who is the publisher of the Buff Stampede, the 24-7 site, he posted this week, not intended to be a Kool-Aid guzzling type of post, but from what I've been able to observe as a media member on the fringe, just outside the program, hearing practice from outside the gates and seeing the coaches interact with each other after practice, it genuinely seems like the closest group of offensive coaches the Buffs have had since I've covered the program. So again, you know, and he qualified it and, you know, that he only sees what he can see and stuff like that, but that's got to be somewhat heartening that if it's going to start, you know, going from the top down, you've got to have some quality coaches that I don't know, for starters, get along with each other and on the same page. And as the Mike Sanford, the offensive coordinator mentioned that they have skin in the game, that if you, have some participation in the process, you're going to want to, you know, work that much harder to make it work. Fair statement, Brad. Oh, unquestionably true. Um, you know, I'm shocked, shocked that they're not trying to build off the Darren Cheverini offense from last year. Tragedy. I mean, and it's just if there was ever a point that you needed to clean house and do it all, that offense last year was it. It was terrible. Um, it was poorly coached and poorly managed and poorly blocked. You got to give Darrell credit for the fact that he just changed it all. And these guys aren't afraid to coach and they're not afraid to do what they think is right. Now they may not be geniuses, as I said, but they're not afraid to get out there and they think they know how to motivate young men and they think they know how to run a game. And they apparently think they know how to do it as a team. That's got to result in some improvement. Okay. Stuart, if I may, just yeah. one and one anecdote about Sanford and perhaps some sign of the creativity to come. Early in the scrimmage, the first team, um, I think it was second down, the center pulled to his right. And I thought, okay, here comes a trap play to the right side. And he sealed the rusher from that side. And there was a gaping hole up the middle because someone followed the polling center, so it left a huge gap there. Very creative stuff. Love that. Love that sort of uh, misdirection and sophistication. So perhaps we're really in for a nice um, upgrade when it comes to not only just the coaching and the fundamentals, but the creativity. Wow. Well, that would certainly be a step in the right direction rather than the uh, run up the middle, run up the middle, and throw eight yards on third and ten which we've 
been witnessing the last couple of years. But I, I actually squealed after that play. I was so happy. <laughs> well, I hope that we're probably a couple pieces away on the offensive line, away from being able to use the offense probably the way Sanford wants it to be used. So the deadline for players to enter the transfer portal is May 1st, which is coming up. So Buff fans should be aware that a number of CU players might be entering the portal in the next week after spring practices. And there might be a few more additions to the team over the summer. And certainly the line might be a good place to look. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The player from Arizona, Neil, might develop into something good, but I, I was surprised that they took basically a freshman as opposed to taking maybe a graduate senior. They could have, you know, been a plug and play like Tommy Brown can be. But we shall see. Uh, the defensive coaching staff did not have the same turnover, but there was some mixing and matching. Uh, Chris Wilson is still a defensive coordinator, but instead of doing the line, he's doing outside linebackers. Brett Maxey is the defensive passing in coordinator safeties. Gerald Chapman is the defensive line coach, who's the newest coach since he had to come in at the last minute. Mark Smith, inside linebackers, and Rod Chance at cornerbacks, of course, replacing Demetrius Martin, who defected to Oregon. So defensive staff, probably not getting as much ink simply because there wasn't as much turnover. But, Brad, you think that's a solid group as well, or do you think there's some uh, lingering deficiencies? Well, I you know, I liked Wilson. I thought his defense got better over time last year, especially – adjusting to you know the loss of Nate Landman, who apparently we had designed our entire defense around. So I think some consistency there is good. Um, we're still figuring that out. Uh, the defensive line obviously played well, which means that Chapman must have some ability to figure out what they've got going on. I think it looks like the decision to move to a 4-3 is going to be a good one. And if your staff can all get together and agree that this is how we do it, that's probably a good sign that they're at least working together and they understand their talent. So I think it's still too early to tell what the cornerbacks can do. We're all going to be worried about the back, about the defensive backfield until we see them against USC. Yeah. I think the defense certainly today looked much better organized and throughout the course of the spring, um, we're getting more and more reports about players stepping up and being able to play their positions. So um, there is reason to hope there. And today I thought gave us even more. Okay, well, Neil, you got a defense in 2021 that was mediocre, I think would be a fair statement, and now loses Nate Landman, Carson Wells, Christian Gonzalez, Makai Blackman, you know, who's the other safety that we lost, uh, Mark Perry. We've lost most of, you know, a good chunk of, Half, you know, half of the defense that wasn't that great. So are you drinking the Kool-Aid that this defense can be better even with those losses? Well, I'm sipping okay. at this point. And let's just, let me just walk through. I think the D-line was able to, I think, adequately replace what they lost. We lost a good player, but I think with the depth and the rotation, I think they're going to be okay. The linebackers. I am confident that those two inside guys, Barnes and 
I'm sorry, uh, number 12. Those guys, those guys, I think, are starting to show improvement in their play uh, as well as leadership. I saw them today um, talking to other players, you know, about assignments or about mistakes. That's excellent. Uh, I also think that our cornerbacks coach may have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. And I think he's going to be good for the corners and he's going to push those guys. And my sense is they'll give him everything that that they have. The players will, because he seems like an inspirational kind of guy. So I'm, I think that the defense, again, if they don't get overused and abused, will be significantly better than last year. Okay. Any final words, Brad, about the 15 practices? Um, For one thing, there weren't any notable serious injuries. Uh, Didn't lose anybody, which is always helpful when you've got a team that's lacking in depth. But uh, what's, uh, what would be your takeaway? What uh, should Buff fans think about spring football 2022? I think this is a better team. How much that's going to translate to more wins? Because they're not yet a good team. But there is – it feels like Darrell's got his handle on the program better than he has in the past. It feels like, unquestionably, there is depth in important places that we've not had in the past. I think there's every reason to believe coming out of this that we're going to be a more competitive team. Um, I wish our standards were higher, but that's what we got. And I think come fall, there could be some fun games. Okay. Well, Neil, the USA Today came out with its uh, post-spring Pac-12 rankings and had Colorado 11th just ahead of Arizona and even did a write-up for Arizona, basically apologized for putting them 12, saying that with their – recruiting class and their transfers that are coming in and the enthusiasm in the program that they almost apologize for putting a one in 11 program number 12, whereas they put Colorado at 11th and kind of said, well, you know, things are not even as good as they were last year. So do you see Colorado as the number 11, a team in the PAC 12 that has a lot of work to do just to hold off Arizona or is there room for CU to climb in the standings? I think there is room for them to climb a slot or two uh, for the reasons we've elucidated so far. I think that things, uh, entities like USA Today and other national outlets adopt an old statistical uh, approach, which is things will be the same because they've stayed the same. And I, I think that they're not close enough to, pro, to the program to see the improvements being made. So they're making a projection based upon a false assumption. So I'm going to go with the notion that they can at least move their way up to ninth, maybe a little bit better. We will know after the Air Force and the Minnesota games how good this team will be, I think, in the first part of the Pac-12 schedule. But I agree with Brad. It's going to be hard for this to show up in wins because our schedule is tougher this year. Okay. Well, we'll let that be the the last word, at least for a couple of weeks until we start bugging you guys again. I'm going to go back and do some more NIL interviews, but we will continue on with the Brad and Neil show as merited uh, again the transfer portal and the change in the roster is going to be something we talk about and then the 
Preseason magazines, of course, will come out, will probably mimic a lot of what the USA Today had to say. So we'll give Neil the forum to tell us that they're wrong because they don't bother to, you know, check out what's going on in the great city of Boulder and the University of Colorado. So thank you, gentlemen, for uh, participating and watching the Spring Showcase. And we will talk again real soon. Brad. Great to see you all. Thank you. Enjoyed it. You know, always great to talk football in the spring. Thanks for listening. Brad and Neil will be back soon as the transfer portal is bound to reshape the CU lineup in the upcoming weeks. We will also do a deep dive in June into the preseason magazines, which will, spoiler alert, not have much good to say about CU's chances of success in 2022. I will also be continuing on with the See You at the Game NIL podcast campaign, as we have now reached and passed the midway point of our 20 interview series. The interviews will continue throughout the remainder of the spring, so I hope you have subscribed to the podcast at your favorite podcast site, so that you won't miss any of the new interviews. And so, until next time, be well, stay safe, and go buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.